Welcome to Just Ahead Podcast. My name is Adele Dujardin, a former teacher turned life coach with a passion for helping others design and live a life that is happily theirs. Through interviews with folks five to ten years out of college, you will hear the interesting twists and turns their working lives have taken as they carve out satisfying careers of all kinds. Here I speak with Antonia Villa to learn how she left Hamilton College with a degree in art and mathematics and years later is a software engineer at Logic's board, a tech startup in Seattle. Enjoy. Tell me just a little bit about yourself in terms of background, you know, like where you went to school, major. So I went to Hamilton College, which is Mm -hmm. a small liberal arts school. I took a little bit of a non-traditional route and was a double major in mathematics and fine arts. And I was really focused on kind of tying the two ideas together, kind of through my artwork and through what I focused on in math and my art thesis Uh was on fractals and chaos theory, which is what I had written my math thesis on. Okay. And it was really rewarding because some of the math professors that were teaching a similar topic that actually Mm -hmm. held class in the studio space to talk about my work and talk about how it reflected what they were teaching. So it was kind of what I exactly I wanted. I wanted to kind of dissociate the idea that you have to be a mathematician to understand these complex Mm. theories and show that it really can be beautiful whether or not you know the underlying Uh uh-huh that was what I ended up that was how I tied the two together Um, yeah and so and it sounds like successfully Mm -hmm. but I do have to say when you walk out of school as an art major yes unless you're going into the industry Mm -hmm. what do you do yeah. What do you do? Yeah. Do and was do? that, was that a question that was really on your mind? Like, what do I do? Were you asking yourself that? I don't think I was asking myself that. I think that there is some pressure that when you graduate college, it's, I need to go into a nine to five job, not mm-hmm. I can forge my own career. And I think for me, my path out of school was a little bit non-traditional. So did you not feel the pressure then? I actually came up with this grand idea when I was leaving college that I wanted to make the national team as a rower. Mm -hmm. So I felt the pressure to athletically succeed after college. Mm -hmm. And I supplemented that with a job that I could find. Okay. And so uh, so your first goal was the rowing. Yep. And and work was secondary. Work was secondary. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that I think a lot of college athletes struggle with, well, how do I succeed after college? How, mm-hmm. What does athleticism even mean when I'm not on a team? Mm-hmm. And I think for me, I was like, oh, well, I'll just step into this and this will be my next goal. And I took a job working um, at MIT in their administrative department because it was a 12 minute walk from the boathouse. Mm-hmm. I could go work out in the morning. I could walk to work. I could go back to the boathouse at lunch I could go back to work. I could leave and then be back on the water at five mm-hmm. o'clock. So it supported supported your goal of Yeah, and I could sometimes snooze on the job and no one would notice. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have to be super intellectually challenged. And I was Mm -hmm. like mental I was always physically and mentally exhausted from training. So I was like, well, this works. Like this Mm -hmm. is what I need. And I was honoring so it was honoring your goal and and paying the rent. It was honoring my goal, paying the rent and But I also want to say and then some, because it wasn't like you took a job waitressing. Yeah, I think so. It's funny. I actually first took a job out of college working as a canvasser Mm -hmm. um, on the streets, working for like different campaigns on the liberal platform for that summer. Mm -hmm. And I have never been as physically, emotionally, mentally exhausted as I was Mm -hmm. working that job where 
I would be training in the morning and then I would go from there to standing on the street all day trying to interact with strangers. And it's, there's so much an emotional aspect when you're a canvasser to how you're treated, the ups, the highs, the lows, whether people want to give money to you. Yeah. I lasted four weeks and I quit. I couldn't do it. I was like, I, I am crying every day. I'm tired. This isn't what I thought. This is what I envisioned for myself. And I think this idea of like working at MIT, I had worked actually throughout college. I had worked for my administrative department in college as like kind of, it was like a student job basically. Mm-hmm. So I had all of the background and I had a mm-hmm. lot of knowledge around what happens in those departments. And so it was a really it was really easy for me because I had just spent mm-hmm. four years doing it as an intern or like mm-hmm. a student. So stepping into the role was like, oh, I've already done this before. And the role was what exactly? Um, so I was an administrative assistant to the annual fund department. Okay. So, so in the development office. In the development office, I helped with a lot of kind of like organizing of events and donors and kind of get doing research on donors and get setting up meetings for people and travel plans. Um, and it was, to me, it was not intellectually stimulating. Right. I just, I could have done it in my sleep at that point. And I had done it for a few years and I was, but the thing was, it was, I was there for a reason. I was there because it worked for rowing. But at the same time, I, I feel like you were building capital nonetheless like there 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 are things in that job regardless if you could have done them in your sleep that allowed you you things you could take forward to when you were applying for your next jobs yeah i agree i mean i think well i think a lot changed in that role so i think that i was not invested in it for a year um while i was training full time and that was my mission i got unfortunately very injured rowing mm-hmm. And I couldn't train anymore. Okay. And that is when I think I had a early life crisis. What am I doing in my job? Do I even like this? Why am I here? Do I, what happened to the artwork I really enjoyed making? I had dropped it the second I left school. And that's when I really started to kind of like ask myself the hard questions and struggle with what am I even doing? Like, is this what I envisioned for myself? Do why did I just forget about all these things? So it was a real check. It was a real check in with yourself. Yeah, it definitely was. And I took some risky moves, kind of in that period of time. I got an art studio for the first mm-hmm. time since I left school. I started renting yeah, a it studio. Sounds like, it sounds like one of the things that you checked in with was other loves in your life. Yeah, and I think that it's what I learned from that experience, which I always try to keep with me is it's really important that you have a balanced life. Yes, you can be extremely passionate and pour your life into something. But if that gets taken away from you, you need to understand what else makes you happy. If you only have one sole thing that brings you joy, you might be in trouble if Mm. it's a physical activity and you are no longer physically able. And so I think I did a check-in with myself of, okay, I had this thing. It brought me so much happiness. I'm not happy anymore. What else do I know that I enjoy doing? Mm -hmm. And one of those things was, okay, I really enjoy making artwork. Mm -hmm. Another of those things was, okay, I really do like working, but I like working on things that are intellectually stimulating. So Mm -hmm. what about my job can I do that like I will be learning and I'll be excited about? And so I kind of pivoted in the job I was doing to do more. I started teaching myself how to code on the job so that I could do things more efficiently. I could create programs for people. 
And a lot of it was people came to me with requests every day and they were all the same. And I was like, well, I feel like I'm doing the same thing every day. I'm not really a task oriented person. I want to come up with a better solution. So I taught myself some coding languages. And did you just do this on the side? Did you say to the person you worked for, Hey, this is my plan or did you, you know, what was your approach? I just, I just did it on the side. I, I saw patterns and what people asked me Mm -hmm. and I said, okay, there has to be a better way to do this. Yeah. Yeah. So again, your, your math background, that, that whole idea of patterns. Yep. Yeah. And you just, I think one of the other thing is, is I'm not, (laughs) I felt like these tasks were kind of silly. It was like, why am I bolding column B in this Excel spreadsheet every day for the same Mm. person? Like, there's got to be a program that can do this. Yeah. What I love that I'm hearing is in, in some ways, your mind was kind of complaining, right? Like, why am I doing this? I can't believe again, column B needs to be bold or whatever. And, and instead of just staying in that mode of complaining, you, you did something about it. You took action. And um, it seems like that's a thread. Like when your thesis wasn't working out, you like kind of asked the questions that needed to be asked to make it work. And here you didn't all of a sudden like quickly go switch jobs or, you know, throw that job away. You started to kind of look at it specifically to make it a more interesting job for yourself. Yeah. And I started to, that's definitely, that's true. But I think one of the other things is whatever job you're in, you're the person that has your best interests at heart. Mm-hmm. Yes. You have a manager and that manager, if you're lucky, out there, you might have a really great one in your life that cares about you. They want you to succeed. They'll do anything for you to succeed. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you look out for yourself. So if you're not happy with what you're doing, you have the power to change it. Mm -hmm. It's just that you need to recognize that. And I think like some of the first kind of jobs that you have right out of school, you think, here's the task I'm given. This is the job. I need to do this. But a lot of it is well, how can you make that more enjoyable for yourself? Like you might be given that task, but there might be 35 ways to do it. You can come up with a creative way that you're interested in. And I think a lot of people get hung up on the like first kind of roles. Oh, this is the job. This is all I have to do. This is what the person next to me does. Like you can be creative about it if you're willing to take that risk. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it doesn't work out. Like I can recall so many times on that job, I wanted to learn something. I tried to learn it. I sunk hours into it. I would stay late just by myself trying to mm-hmm. learn this one thing and I couldn't figure it out. And then mm-hmm. people would be like, oh, what'd you work on yesterday? And I'd be like, I'd have to come in early the next day to get my work done because I'd spent two hours trying to right. learn a new language. Right. So right. it's just what you, it's kind of what you think, what you value. Like, yes. Anything. Yeah. For you, it was the intellectual stimulation. So you took some of the more mundane tasks and started to address them in terms of coding. And then that became a challenge for you. And so even though you were taking risks and sometimes not succeeding, you were still intellectually being stimulated, even though you weren't always arriving at the result you wanted. And I was having more fun on the job than I'd Uh ever had because I had created a niche for myself where everyone then came to me. Oh, I want this Excel spreadsheet to do these fancy things and do this and do this and do this. Oh, I could do that. I mean, I didn't have any clue how to do it, but I was yeah. like, sure, I could figure it out. Yeah. It that hard. Yeah. So your impact was greater. I mean, you improved your quality of life at work. And then also your impact at the workplace was greater and you brought more value. People were seeking you out. 
Yeah. And I think it was like, I created a niche for myself there. Mm -hmm. And I think you can specialize in something. And sometimes you walk into a job and you're like, oh, I'm just like, I'm not sure an account representative. And there's 45 of us. It's like, well, you might be the account representative that's really good at like managing Salesforce or like you might be really good at analyzing the data. Like you can create that niche for yourself. It's just what you're interested in and whether or not you're willing to put in the time. So then where, where did that take you? It's actually a very funny story. got into my next role at, at MIT or in, um, I actually left MIT, okay. but there was a step before that. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the most mundane parts of being an administrative assistant was mm-hmm. I had to go to the mail room every day and okay. I had to collect the mail, okay. and I had to bring it upstairs and distribute it. Okay. And ironically enough, at the time I was there, part of the mail room was under construction. So I had to hand give out the mail to all the people on this floor. And it was like one of the most degrading tasks. I hated it. Mm-hmm. But every day I was like, well, this is a kind of a nice break. I get to walk around the building. <laughs> so there was the marketing department that works next to us. And every day I would go down to the mail room, I'd collect the mail and they would have like 10 to 40 letters, the same letters. And I would always ask the marketing guy, Tim, Hey Tim, where do I put these letters? And he's like, Oh, just throw them in the cardboard box. I was like, what? Why am I putting all of this mail you're getting in a cardboard box? This makes no sense. Until finally, at first I was like, okay, that may, I don't know what you do for your job. Maybe this is a thing. And then finally I stopped yeah. one day and I was like, Tim, what are these? Why yeah. are we putting them in a cardboard box? And he said, oh, this year, instead of asking donors for money, we asked those donors who have never donated to take a survey and tell us what they care about and what they would give money to if we offer them the opportunity. And these were all the survey responses. And I was like, well, what are you doing with the survey responses? He's like, well, we don't have time to analyze the data. So they're just Mm going to sit in the box. And I said, well, I love data and I love analyzing data. So you could hire me as an intern for Ah. your department. I'll read all of the letters and all the surveys. I'll put them in the put them in an Excel spreadsheet and I'll do the data analytics for you and I'll tell you what the people said. Yeah. And it was a little bit of a back and forth, but my boss agreed to it. I said I would work after hours and do it because it was like this opportunity to step into a data analyst role that mm-hmm. was what I was I thought I was really interested in mm-hmm. from like that background. So, um, they hired me a student intern that entered okay. all of the data for me. And again, I just love how you took action. I mean, it's really you asking. You, that's what I've learned. You're, you're, never see, you're seeing something. an opening and you're intrigued and then you form it into a possibility and you ask for it. Yeah. I do remember back to how funny the whole situation yeah. was. But what ended up happening as a result of it was this amazing experience where I did this full data analytics. I learned these like really great insights and I ended up getting to present them to the board of MIT. And then they changed the way that they went about asking donors for money and they used it for me. And so from that point, like, can you give an example of one of the things they changed? Um, so they changed basically the way, so a lot of like the way you ask donors or you send out donation letters mm-hmm. is you can segment donors based on, oh, I'm interested in donating to this. And it's related to kind of what they either studied in college mm-hmm. or what they were, their activities they're interested in. Mm-hmm. So taking a deeper dive on um, the information you have in the database about a donor and addressing saying, hey, we came up with this new fund, for example, that might be for the MIT rugby team. Mm-hmm. We saw you were on MIT rugby. 
will you help us like get mm-hmm. to the next level and donate to this fund? Okay. So it was more like targeted um, matching donors to something they actually mm-hmm. care about rather than a blanket, hey, give money to the institution. Okay. Hey, here's a real cause mm-hmm. based on your data that mm-hmm. you said you're interested in. And a lot mm-hmm. of that was running analysis and doing like segmentation around mm-hmm. kind of how do you ask donors for money and how are you most likely to get them to give back? And, a and lot how, of many, that, how many years out are you at this point? I was a year and a half out. You're going to have out of school. It was terrifying. Absolutely terrifying experience. Yeah. So, it's, so yeah. That, that's really good to know because, you know, you tell it now and it's, uh, I'm inspired by it. And then, you know, part of me is like, well, gosh, I don't know if I would have had that in me, you know, or someone younger than you might be listening to it and be like, oh, well, good for her. So, so, so yeah. So t- like, if you can kind of remember emotionally what you were feeling and like, that's helpful, I think. It was, I think that... <clears throat> When you start out asking, when you don't know, and you ask someone in your first job for something, I think something that you need to keep in mind is you need to have, before you ask, you need to prove that you're worth it. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, I had worked really hard in that job and people had recognized me to, oh, she's the data girl. So when I asked, I had this whole department behind me saying, yeah, that's her specialty. So don't ask without a resume behind you to back you up. Ask when you have kind of something that to show for what you're asking for. And I think like your point, you had put in some extra hours. You were staying late, you know, when you were doing that initial coding, experimenting on the side, as you say. And so you slowly over time got known for that. And I had, I had built a reputation. People Mm -hmm. from out of departments had come to me. So when I made the ask of, oh, can I do this data analysis work? It was also... I thought that's where I wanted to go in my career. And I was like, this would help me understand if this is the next goal for me. Mm-hmm. But I do have to say, when they asked, will you present in front of the board? That's a terrifying experience. I Sitting bet. up in front of a board of MIT alums that run the annual fund department. Uh, I was terrified. I was probably sweating profusely and like bright red because I was so nervous. Oh, that's how I was asking how old you were. Because I imagined you were young. I, I was 23. 23. Yeah. I mean, people were established in their careers. I mean, you know, the board of trustees, you're talking about titans of industry, you know, very, very accomplished. But I think that the one thing to keep in mind there is if the people that support you, your managers and the people that told you you could present, if they support you, you're not up there alone. I didn't Mm -hmm. feel like I was up there alone. I felt like, okay, if they ask me a hard question and I panic, Steve, who was the director of the annual fund department, he'd have my back. Absolutely. And I think that's kind of how I felt a little bit more comfortable in it. Mm -hmm. Um, a little bit more confident in kind of the presentation aspect of it. Yeah. It's a very nice image. The fact that, yeah, you had, you knew you had the support. Yeah. And I think I learned, so when I said I didn't stay with MIT, so from that experience, I learned a lot and I asked MIT, I want to be a data analyst. I've proven that this is what I want to do. I'm really interested in it. And I asked them and they said, said, okay, we'll try. We'll try to make a position for you. But I think that the way institutions work, it was a little, and I was young and I was impatient. And I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to be a data analyst. And at the time, I don't know if it was for the like vanity title of data mm-hmm. analyst. I was happy with what I was doing at MIT. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. or if it was like, oh, I actually want to do the job or I want the vanity title to tell people I'm an analyst. 
And I started asking, I asked my, my direct boss, can I change positions? There was no position in the company that existed. And they said, okay, we'll try. And I was impatient. So I started looking for another job. Okay. And, and you say you're impatient. I keep getting the feeling like you feel like maybe it would have been smart for you to stay or do you feel not? I think it would have been smart for me to say. Okay. I think that I was impatient. And so I started looking for a job that I thought checked the boxes. Mm-hmm. And what and boxes were you looking to have checked? A job where I could learn to code. I could kind of move quickly. I could learn whatever I wanted. I maybe worked directly in analytics and some different programs and software. And I could pick all this up on the job. Maybe I used statistics from my math background. I wasn't 100% sure. But as I started interviewing, a lot of the feedback I got was, oh, but you don't have any experience as a data analyst. And I was like, yeah, it's not on my resume, but I just did this thing. And I would explain the MIT situation and they'd be like, oh, but you're not a data analyst. And I found it really degrading to try to like go out. And it was so emotionally exhausting Mm. to get turned down time and time again. So so you were a non-traditional candidate with experience, but it was very hard to get anyone's attention. Yeah. And I found the attention I could get was actually of startups because they were looking for actually just agile people that could kind of Mm -hmm. learn anything and move quickly and were okay working extra hours. And and I was like, okay, I'll target startups. And so the next kind of phase of like my career, I made a mistake. I took a job because I wanted it so badly because I wanted the title of data analyst, not Mm -hmm. because I really considered the people. Mm -hmm. I think that's like an important thing that I haven't really even touched on is that as much as MIT, I worked with all people at least twice my age, but I have never worked in a more supportive, like Mm -hmm. caring atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And The next role I moved into, I don't think I really did like a pulse check on, are these my type of people? Do Mm. they care about me? And so I took a job for a title and like this vanity of, oh, I want to be a data analyst. And I only lasted a year. I did like the work. I thought it was interesting. And a lot of other things were kind of happening in my life. But I, what I realized is like, I didn't really interview the company. I let them do the interviewing and I was so desperate Mm. that I didn't interview them for, is this a good fit for me? Let me ask you some questions. And I think when you're young and you're looking for a job, you show up to an interview and you're like, oh my gosh, okay, am I presenting myself perfectly? But also you need to take a step back and say, well, is this company right for me? Let me ask them some questions. So I hear you saying just kind of some ways like just act from your own power that, you know, there's things you need to be successful and happy and really pay attention to those as well as the, the fact that you do need to be employed. And maybe, and maybe at that stage, you don't know what those are. What you always do know is, are the people around me the type of people that mm. are going to make me laugh? Mm-hmm. They're going to pat me on the back if I'm crying about something, some spilled milk in the kitchen. Yeah. You just have to think like, okay, maybe I don't know what is going to make me successful, but right. I know the type of people that like build me up as a person. Yeah, so look nice. for that. And I think from that job, I actually, I moved into, I stayed a year. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot. Mm-hmm. I went to graphic design school while I was there. I ended up moving companies and actually getting a job with a company that I had originally interviewed with a year before, before I took that job that said okay. when I was interviewing, Hey, we're not hiring right now. 
but like mm-hmm. check back in with us. And I okay. always would ping them and ask, Hey, what are you doing? Are you using this software? Have you heard about this? And then a year later, when I felt more confident in what I was doing as an analyst, mm-hmm. I had built up these mm-hmm. skills. I was really like owning software. I reached back mm-hmm. out to the company and I said, Hey, there's this new software called Tableau. Mm-hmm. This was back, this was a couple of years mm-hmm. ago when Tableau was small. I think that your company could really benefit from using it. And I'm an expert in it now. Mm -hmm. I'd love to come back and talk to you and Mm -hmm. talk about how I can integrate it with what you're doing. And they were like, oh, of course, why not? So I went back and I interviewed again with this company Mm -hmm. in Boston and I told them all about like what I wanted to do and how like I think Tableau could change what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And on the spot, they offered me a job. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, this is where I wanted to be. And I just felt this, like everyone I interviewed with that, that company, yeah. it was like, I was just having a casual conversation mm. with them. And I was like, this company makes sense to me. And I stayed there for three years okay. and I, I still talk to them. I'm okay. really close with the CEO. Uh-huh. I just, that was the company that I was like, this is the place for me. Yeah. And well, one of the things I hear again that you did when you sought them out was you specifically addressed what you could do for them. And I feel like... That's really kind of makes people say, hey, you you can help us. And I think that maybe people that might listen to this or people that think, well, I don't have anything special. You do. Maybe you have to ask the people around you. Be like, what am I good at? Mm. How do I excel? And you need to show up on the day that you interview somewhere and be like, well, this is my strength and this is what I bring to the table. Yeah. And it's like your silly jokes or the fact that you laugh or the fact that you can boost all of your team members up and get them engaged it, or you have a technical skill. It doesn't matter what it is, but like right. companies are looking for someone that shows up, that show up and say, this is what I can bring to you. Yeah. Very, I think that's an excellent point. And sometimes we think it has to be something uber special mm-hmm. and it doesn't, it just has, you just have to really, I think, understand it and claim it and then, and share it and just own it. And it might be, I mean, very recently, as in a few days ago, Uh my boss told me I was in a review for a job that I have now. And my boss told me, well, I really love having you around because we really love your laugh. Uh (laughs) Uh Oh, oh, you like having me as part of a team because I laugh a lot. And I'm like, oh, that's a funny thing to say in a quarterly review where you (laughs) think you're going to be walking in talking about, how many things did you get done? It's like, yeah. well, I really thank you for laughing all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I know. So, I mean, really what you're saying is bring your real self, bring your true self. It's like, I mean, isn't that when we enjoy people the most is when they just are themselves. Yeah. That's when you have the most impact. And I think workplace environments, specifically interviews, you're on a stage. So maybe you're, you think you have to be on a performance, mm-hmm. but I think that the company customer portfolios that I worked out for three years in Boston before I left, I walked into that interview and I was like, this is me. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge goofball. I work really hard and this is what I really care about it. And it's data visualization. And I think I can change your company. And they said, okay, we want you to be here. We don't know what you're going to do, but like, we're going to hire you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like the, the people I met there, the relationships I formed, like I cemented a, self, a place for myself in that company. And I absolutely would never mm-hmm. say anything bad about anyone I worked with there. Mm-hmm. It was like the most supportive environment. And the mm-hmm. funniest thing is, is I didn't care about what I was doing. I was doing things with like consumer goods. Mm-hmm. That's totally mm-hmm. not me. But also I was so invested in like yeah. the teams and the relationships right. and building other people up that I, it didn't matter if I was selling shoes or gasoline. And I was yeah. like, this is exciting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, I hear you say in terms of how you showed up for that interview and what you're encouraging others to do is, you know, t- take it seriously, do your homework, be prepared, 
But then don't feel like you have to be some kind of archetype of like the serious interviewee mm-hmm. where you shed your personality, you know, like show up with your personality, you know, and your crazy yeah. ideas or. Or show up wearing a fur vest. That's what yeah. I did. And right. everyone remembered it to the day that right. I left. Right. 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 Like really. Yeah. It's like be your natural self and and then you're going to feel more yourself and more of yourself is going to come out mm-hmm. and people are going to respond to that. Yeah. It's definitely, I'm learning this too now and customer portfolios. It was an amazing place. They supported me in everything I wanted to do. They helped me kind of um, pursue an education in engineering, which mm-hmm. is what I do now. Mm-hmm. I'm a software engineer. I, I mean, I owe them so much. And the day mm-hmm. that I left, uh, the CEO was like, I miss you. I'm going to miss oh. you. Oh. And I still talk to him. I, he asked me questions about things happening in the tech industry that I'm actually, that's now I'm a lot closer to than he is. And I still talk to everyone in the company. And it wasn't, I, I didn't leave the company because I didn't like it. I left because I wanted to be an engineer and I was an analyst. And I was like, I have bigger ambitions. Yeah. And the CEO even said to me, you have bigger ambitions than I can offer you. You mm-hmm. need to pursue them. And I can't give you that. So mm-hmm. you need to find a job and a company that you can really explore that. And, and is so that the job you're in now? Yeah. So now I work, it's kind of a hybrid job, but I work, I'm primarily a software engineer. Um, Mm -hmm. I build data visualization, a data visualization application. And I work for a small startup out in Seattle, which is where I live now. And (laughs) it's funny. It's kind of that theme. (laughs) I didn't have, I don't, I'm not a formally trained engineer. I took Mm -hmm. classes. Um, I studied a lot. And when I moved out here, my goal was find a company that does data visualization because it's what I've always cared about Mm -hmm. and pitch them to hire you Mm -hmm. with no experience, no resume as an engineer, just tell them, try to show them you're worth it. And, um, I met this, I met a man through kind of a startup, a like meetup. So you kind of can go to meetups. You can meet other people that are interested in what you're interested in. Mm -hmm. I went to a meetup one time because I started to think about, well, what's some project I could work on that could, show what I'm interested in. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, I just moved to Seattle. I lived in Boston. Mm-hmm. What are the, how are the cities different? Like, why do I feel like this is a totally different place? What's the population? I, it just was like, what can I do that could show yeah. showcase this? So I showed up to this meetup about data visualization. And I started talking to two of the people that were running it about yeah, I'm really interested in using some, maybe some census data and just kind of drawing like a map to show how Seattle might be different from Boston. Turns out they worked for a company that their goal was visualizing public data. Mm -hmm. And one of the kind of the principal engineers, the senior engineer said, Hey, this is kind of a crazy opportunity, but I'll give you access to our data. If you build something that's cool with it, Mm -hmm. I'll show it to our CEO and maybe they'll want to hire you. So I spent two, like a week, mm-hmm. probably not sleeping, to be honest, mm-hmm. it was about mm-hmm. a year and a half ago now, trying to build this like interactive map that popped up yeah. and did all this. And I was like, yeah. I'm a data visualization expert. I had no clue. I spent so long banging my head against the wall trying to do <laughs> And I went back to the company. I said, this is what I can offer you. Yeah. This is what I'm excited about. I was trying to do this on my own before I right. even knew about you. This is what I care about. And mm-hmm. they said, okay, sounds good. You've never been an engineer. You can learn it on the job. And they hired me. And I want to say for everyone that's like, well, you, you got lucky. I did get lucky, but I also, I worked hard. I worked Mm -hmm. very hard to get to the point. I identified what I was interested in. 
Mm-hmm. I pursued it. I learned about it. I studied it. I struggled to learn it. Like mm-hmm. it was very, very challenging. Yeah. But I didn't really give up. Mm-hmm. And I kept, I kept looking for companies where I cared about what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And like, like I said before, I worked for a consumer goods, like marketing company. Yeah. I didn't really care about what they were doing, but I was mm-hmm. so excited about the idea that like, they could change the way that they showed data and how they presented it. And the people were really excited about it. Right. And the company I work for now, I, I also feel like, I mean, I love the people there. I, mm-hmm. I would follow, honestly, my boss now, I'd follow him anywhere. Mm-hmm. He's given me such an opportunity to grow. Mm-hmm. And he keeps taking risks on me and it keeps, I hope it keeps paying off. Or at least, <laughs> at least tell me it pays off my laugh. But, <laughs> just keep uh, laughing. Yeah, just keep laughing and I'm fine. But I think that... I looked for a company where I was like, I like what they're doing. And I feel like I would be excited about this. Mm, I could show up every day and be like, oh, this is cool. I got to do this thing. So in other words, it's that match factor for you, not just the actual role that you'll be doing. Yeah. And it's the people too. Like, do you want to show up and say hi to your employee, like to say hi to your desk mate? Or do you want to show up and not talk to anyone? Yeah. And I think it's especially the engineering world, which is very different from other worlds I've worked in. There is a totally different atmosphere that goes along with the industry. Mm -hmm. It's not the like bubbly, hey, let's make dad jokes all day long and laugh about it. It's like, I'm going to focus. And you have to have that focus, but... Well, the other thing when you say, you know, yeah, I was lucky, but I also struggled. I mean, another thing that I really noticed as you were describing your, your trajectory is you at each point continued to self-educate. I did. I did. And, you know, there was always another little thing you were studying or learning. Yeah. It's hard to kind of put my finger on that. But I think as you go through, I hate to say this for everyone that's an undergraduate and they've studied this, like they've, maybe they're a philosophy major. Mm -hmm. They're like, I am a philosopher. What you learn in undergraduate, it doesn't mm-hmm. prepare you for what you need to do on a job unless mm-hmm. you're going to med school or mm-hmm. you're going to be an electrical engineer right. and you're studying circuits. I think that it teaches you how to think and it teaches mm-hmm. you how to learn. Mm-hmm. And if you're self-motivated, like you will learn everything on the job. And that's what I, I figured out was I kept looking for like, okay, what part of this job makes me happy? How can I bind this together to mm. like to create the ideal job for me? And I think I ended up in this like software engineering role. Is it what I want to do? I'm not really sure. Yeah. I think I'm happy right now. I think I show up every day. Every day is a challenge. Mm-hmm. I think as mm-hmm. long as I'm challenged, I'll be like mm-hmm. happy. Mm-hmm. But is it exactly do I want to do the specific like languages that I'm doing right now? I'm not really sure. Maybe tomorrow I don't. And I'll learn something else and I'll figure out what about my current role makes Mm. me happy and how can I carry that onto the future? Yeah. So I hear, you know, even in your, the way you speak, you know, there's a real agility that you have used throughout your career so far and, and, and driven kind of by, you know, paying very attention to what do you want? What is there that you can work with to make it better in terms of more challenging, more interesting for yourself and, and, and willing to kind of then you're not waiting for things to arrive to you. You're, you're, you're seeking them and asking for them. I think something like I, I said it at the beginning, you are looking out for yourself. You have your best interests in mind. Yeah. You're the only person. Yeah. So if you are unhappy, 
you're the only person that yeah. really has the power to change it. Mm-hmm. And you just have to keep doing that. Well, and also too, what I see you did, which is interesting, is you are in a very different place from where you began in terms of what you're doing. But it's not like you said, oh, this is wrong altogether. And now I'm going to try something totally different. You, there, there, there were these slight tweaks and changes that got you to where you are. Yeah, it, it was not easy to do. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you feel a little lost. Like, mm-hmm. God, what am I even doing right now? Mm-hmm. But I think that what I learned was take something from each job you have, identify, okay, maybe you don't like the job, but I bet you mm-hmm. like something about it. And look for a, more, a little more of that every yeah. time. So each time I learned a little something and I said, do I like doing this? How yeah. can I do more of this? You're definitely, you're, you're right about that. Anything else you, you want to share? Okay, I do have one other thing I have mm-hmm. to share. Just because I may look like I'm doing the job that I've always wanted to do, doesn't mean I'm 100% happy. There's days you show up and you have a mm-hmm. bad day and that's okay. Yeah. And I think that people like see the, Oh, how did, like, how did she do it? How did she make it here? Oh, Mm -hmm. she's so smart. She must be all these things. It's like, I wasn't the smartest student in college. I just kind of kept working at it and I worked hard and I learned things. And going back to the people thing, if you want to be happy at a company and you want to stay there, Mm -hmm. find a company that's willing to invest in you as a person, make sure you find a company or like people that are willing to say, Hey, you're worth it. I'll take an extra two hours out of my day to help you Mm -hmm. learn. And the one last thing I do have to say is just because you're doing something non-traditional doesn't mean it's wrong. Yeah. All right. That's the last thing. <laughs> well, thank you so much for this time. And truly, like you are inspiring. And even to me, who is, you know, many years your senior. You know? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Antonia. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to Just Ahead. Be sure to rate and subscribe our podcast so you never miss an episode. If you'd like to learn more about me, visit my website at www.agoodlife.coach or follow me on Instagram at agoodlife.coach. Join us again next week to hear more folks share the practical and inspirational around their working lives post-college.